Welcome to another episode of the Movement Fluidity Podcast, where we share anecdotes and reveal science on the topic of fluid and efficient movement. Here we explore tools for improving movement quality and athleticism for those with and without disabilities. I'm Charlie Graffius, and I am currently studying motor learning and motor control at Teachers College, Columbia University. I was born with cerebral palsy, and I use myself as a test subject to explore the human mind and body, and also to prove that anything is possible. My guest today is Jake Ahrens, who embodies the idea that anything is possible. Jake was born with spastic diplegic cerebral palsy, and despite being told that his disability would present limitations, he did not listen to this, and most recently, he set out to hike the Appalachian Trail. For the first time, he had some difficulties, which you will hear about, and then he took some time off to build strength and prepare for his second attempt at the AT, and that's all I'm going to say now. Stay tuned. This is a really incredible story. And I've done 16 and a half miles with like 45 pounds of weight on my pack, which is one, that's way too much weight for a through hike, and two... Nobody has any business going couch to like 16 and a half in mountains coming out of the flatland. So I put myself in a hole as far as recovery. Like I put myself in the recovery trap from the jump and I woke up the next day and it was just like. Before we get started, if you are enjoying the podcast, please subscribe and leave a review on Spotify or Apple. Also, if you could share with a friend or family member who may enjoy this content, that would be greatly appreciated. If you would like to support and contribute to the creation of future episodes, you can give a small monthly donation with the link in the description below. I'm going to start out with a quick update on this month's happenings. So one thing, had to get out of New York City for a little bit to go hiking, went up to the White Mountains with some friends. We did Mount Osceola, which is one of the 4,000 footers. So another one of those to check off the list. It was very difficult and took longer than we thought, but just being outside with the foliage felt like I hadn't been in nature in so long. So real nature, not just Central Park. So that was really great. Another thing, starting to incorporate strength and posture training into the research I'm doing at the Center for Cerebral Palsy Research here at Columbia. And really grateful for this opportunity because th this is what my research interests are. And even though the camp that they're doing right now is more focused on the motor learning of bimanual therapy, so doing things with both hands, they are incorporating posture and strength into it. And I'm given the opportunity to work one-on-one -on -one with some of these kids to incorporate some of the things that I have been able to show that works on myself. A couple of these things are the DNS techniques, the dynamic neuromuscular stabilization, and also stuff like weighted walking with a backpack and different things like that. The tricky part here is it's not like training the adult population where you can just have them go do an exercise. These kids need to be engaged. So figuring out how to 
take these concepts and put them into a game form that is engaging for the children is what I'm really working on right now. Also going to be a participant in a thesis study on the Alexander Technique. Really excited for that. It's going to be just me in the study and they're going to see how this technique of hands-on kind of like micro adjustments to posture when you're moving and statically can decrease superficial muscle tone. So if you ever have your lower back or your neck, those muscles that feel like they're always working, this is a technique that works to realign you to decrease some of that superficial muscle tone. I'll give an update on this next month and stay tuned to learn more about that. One more thing before we get into the episode, I apologize for the audio quality on my end. I'm having some issues with my computer, so we're working with what we got today and it will be better next time. Thank you, Jake, for coming on today. We got a really special guest, Jake Aarons, also known as Sidetrack, his trail name. Talk to you a little bit on social media and just really happy to have you on so we can learn more about you. So thanks for coming on, man. Excited to be on. Want to start off, maybe talk a little bit about living with CP and uh, just about your life. Okay. Brevity can be hard. Um, I'll just stick to the highlights. Um, Basically, I was born in Grand Rapids, Michigan, um, and like most kids with CP, we didn't really know anything was up until I was two. I was born pretty early. Things were complicated. I had a grade four brain bleed, and I always bring that up because I don't really know what that means, but apparently at grade five, they want to like put a needle in my head and pump my skull full of air to like give my brain room to swell. So things were pretty touch and go, um, kind of right from the start. And then at two, you know, they kind of noticed some of the signs of CP. And I was really lucky to be in the area that I was. And through a set of miracles or chance meetings or, or you know, whatever your perspective is, uh, my mom was made aware of something called conductive education, which is a type of therapy specifically for kids with CP that was being like, trialed in the u.s it's originally developed in hungary and i was part of the first cohort i believe the first cohort of american kids with cp to go through that therapy program um from that point was able to go on to live essentially a normal life um i did toe walk up until about middle school so you know kids are jerks so there was some bullying and stuff that happened but it was never really a conversation like i had these things i couldn't do it was always sort of this might be harder for you and hey let me explain to you why maybe you're not as fast as the other kids I was able to play high school sports went on studied at uh, michigan state university i didn't know what i wanted to do so I joke that I got two degrees in unemployment. Uh, I have a liberal arts degree and a communication degree. Some things fell through right at the end of senior year, and so I didn't have a job lined up and kind of thought to myself, well, I don't really know what to do. So I saved my money, and I went to to Southeast Asia. And this is this is important. There's an important moment in, in here as far as the hiking's concerned. But I, I 
saved up a bunch of money and I sold everything that I owned and went to Southeast Asia. The plan was to kind of like globe trot for a while and see if I could solve that puzzle. Um, and I, I found myself in Thailand and I was like, oh, well, I've been to a couple of Muay Thai fights and I was always kind of a, a fan of MMA. So I thought, oh, Muay Thai would be sick. Like, you know, I, I wrestled in high school and me, let me learn how to like throw a punch and a leg kick. And that way I can be, you know, confident that, you know, in a street fight, I'll be okay. Cause I just kick you in the leg real hard and we're, we're probably done at that point. Nice. Yeah. And so I enroll in this fight camp and I'm training like a tie, which is crazy. Cause it's like four hours of training a day. Um, and I like pulled an adductor. Oh yeah. Of course, because I have really tight adductors and you're mm-hmm. throwing kicks for hours every day. Um, and so I'm, I'm in my little cinder block room crying because oh no my dream of globe trotting is over and i'm a failure and i suck and i'm out of shape and my body this and that and it just kind of you know it's like i was throwing such a pity party i thought i might just go home you know and it just kind of came to me in my head like dude you're not even supposed to be here like you're not supposed to walk normally um you know all of the sort of there's a list of like things to expect that i found like a year or two ago that the doctors had given my mom and it's like, I'm not supposed to be here or do any of this stuff with CP. And I, I would almost forgotten that I even had it. And it was this moment of like, wow, you should be profoundly grateful that you're even here. And then the follow on thought was, okay, well, what can I do that can sort of honor the sacrifices that were made to give me the help that I got? Um, what can I do to really honor the fact that I'm really lucky? And the first thought was marathons, but running sucks. Running sucks. I hate running so much. So I thought, you know, the easier thing to do would be to hike the Appalachian Trail. My grandpa had done some sections like throughout the course of his life. So I was aware that there was this trail and started doing a little research. I'm like, okay, cool. I'm going to hike the Appalachian Trail and raise money for cerebral palsy. Like, let's get scholarships for these kids at this therapy center that I went to partnered with the organization, had some plans in mind, had some initial conversations, pandemic. I'm in Asia. I leave Asia, come back to the States, lose touch with my contact in the process. She moved to a different organization. You know, COVID was chaos. Nobody knew up from down. Um, And then in 2021, I was like, screw it. Like this fundraiser is not going to happen. I'm just going to go hike this trail. Um, And I made it 200 miles tapped out was just some complications and i can go into that um and then last year uh i you know just couldn't sit with not having gotten it done and last year went out and walked from springer mountain in georgia to mount katahdin in maine and as you experienced uh that's a heck of a place to finish um and it's it's the greatest thing i've ever done in my life and i'm so incredibly humbled and grateful to have had that opportunity. So maybe not brief, but that's everything. That's everything. And that's amazing, man. Uh, yeah. A lot to unpack there. Um, yeah. So definitely have a lot of similarities with you growing up. I was a, a toe walker as well. I, I'm guessing uh, spastic diplegia was the diagnosis. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, both legs and uh, affected for both of us. And um, even though, you know, we could, we could walk and everything. Kids are, kids are mean. And like, you know, if you're trying to 
keep up with a sport in middle school or high school and you're running and walking on your toes, it just, it looks different. So the emotional side of things is definitely something that uh, people don't think about too much. But like you said, the amount of things that we were able to do that we really shouldn't have been able to do from a clinical perspective is is incredible. And it's easy to forget. Like when I feel like because you and I probably made or we did make so much physical progress that then you start setting these crazy goals, like become a professional Muay Thai fighter or be, in my case, become a professional baseball or tennis player. And when those goals aren't reached, it's like a, it's a real big disappointment. And I had similar instances to where you were feeling like that over in Asia. But the when you just reflect on how far we've come um, and how lucky we are to actually be able to do what we've done, it's it's really humbling. So love that you brought it back to research, uh, helping with the research in CP and connecting it back to others with CP. And uh, just can't wait to hear more about this story because I am fascinated. And as you talked about, when I did Katahdin, I mean, that was one of the hardest things I've I've ever done. And that was the only hike I did. I was well rested and slept in a nice tent, good breakfast, good dinner the night before. And I was beat for a week. So the fact that you hiked from Georgia to that point is a little bit different. Let's start with what got you interested in in hiking, did you have a background growing up hiking when you were younger? So I had a background kind of in the woods. Um, I was that kid, like on a road trips, you know, staring out the window, daydreaming about running through the woods. I grew up in the suburbs, so it wasn't really a huge part. But uh, I, I had gotten involved at a, at a sleepaway summer camp in, in northern Michigan, which is, I'd say it's kind of similar to Maine in sort of the natural beauty. It's just flatter. Um, but I had spent some time in the woods at that camp, and when I was 14 or maybe 15 years old, I think 14, there was a trip that we did. You know, your cabin groups were sort of based on what little high adventure trip you did. There was a 10-day hiking trip to Isle Royal National Park, which is an island in the middle of Lake Superior. It's quite large, and we did a 10-day backpacking trip, and that was my first backpacking trip. And I can't explain to you why that made me like hiking because it hurts so bad the whole time. I mean, our packs are way too heavy and, you know, I'm dealing with all these issues that I don't understand why everything hurts. Um, you know, just because like as as you can maybe attest, like you get to a certain level and you start to forget like, hey, my body's different. I've got some weaknesses. And then all of a sudden you do something. You're like, oh, yeah, like now I'm painfully aware, you know literally painfully aware of what's going on but something about the physical effort is really good for my brain and as somebody that works in the fitness space i think you probably understand like the catharsis and maybe somewhat of that addiction to the endorphins and the feeling of pride of, of the hard work and couple that with the fact that i really love nature hiking is kind of the perfect blend of those two things and so I really had enjoyed that. And then working at that summer camp as a counselor in college, I spent two summers. And over the course of those two summers, led three backpacking trips. And so I had this sort of cursory experience. I'd been in the Boy Scouts. I knew enough to, th to have thought that I knew a lot. 
Turns out that was not the case. But I sort of had this inclination that I could hike. And, and I was familiar enough with backpacking that I sort of had the hubris to think that I could, you know, pull it off without much thought. I'd just have to go out and keep doing it. Yeah. So when when you were pretty young doing the backpacking, was it, would you say, more painful and just harder on the body than what it has been recently? So... In college, it was fine. I think I was just a little bit stronger. Uh, we had pretty heavy pack weights. So, like, it was hard for me doing the distances that I was doing as a young kid. But the pain was sort of similar and in the same places. And then as an adult, like, during those summer camp trips, I just think that maybe I was in a little bit better shape. I'm not exactly sure why it wasn't as big of an issue. But then getting out on the trail in 2021 was a very similar thing. It was just like agonizing for the entirety of that time. So I can't really say no. Um, now the issues are a little bit different. So for for the Isle Royal hike and the 2021 attempt, it was mostly like hip pain, which I, I, I'm convinced is IT band attachment related just because of some of the other things that I've dealt with. But Currently, for me, and a lot of the pain that I had in 2022 was sort of knee pain, which is also downstream of the IT band. So same issue, different location, um, different level of pain. So I've kind of learned to manage. I don't know that I'm necessarily in better physical conditioning as far as those things are concerned. It's a tough question to answer. Yeah, yeah, definitely a tough question. Do you want to get into your first attempt at the AT a little bit and just talk about how many miles you made it and some of the challenges associated with that? Yeah, so it's interesting because I don't really know how to train for a hike. Like it's through hiking is weird because not that many people do it. And it's like this weird cross between like it's ultra endurance on this like crazy low pace level. So finding actual information on how to train is kind of hard. So I was just sort of like going to the gym and trying to be active. And I was living in Florida at the time, which is really flat. I get out there and realize like I'm woefully unprepared, but I was so stoked on my first day that I started at like six in the morning and I got to the first shelter on the trail at like noon and I just said it's like I'm not gonna stop it's noon and I'm hiking with these two kids from Utah that are just mountain goats right that I'm hiking around and they're like well we're going to the next one and I was like cool I'll see you guys there and I roll into this spot at like six o'clock it's March so it's getting dark and I've done 16 and a half miles with like 45 pounds of weight on my pack which is one that's way too much weight for a through hike and two nobody has any business going couch to like 16 and a half in mountains coming out of the flatland. So I put myself in a hole as far as recovery. Like I put myself in the recovery trap from the jump and I woke up the next day and it was just like, I'm very familiar with leg pain, but it's, it was bad. Um, and I just got up and I'm like, okay, cool. Like I'll hobble this off. Like the next day is going to really suck and then I'll be fine. And that didn't turn out to be the case because I pushed like 12 miles that second day. And then on the third day, I tried to move on and I got like five miles up the trail and just something in my brain was like, this is not happening. 
And I turned around and bailed off the trail after like 30 miles at a place called uh, Neil's Gap, which is, I think the statistic is something like 10 or 15% of, of AT through hiker opals will quit at Neil's Gap. So I was like, oh, shoot, like, am I going to be that guy? But I got off trail and got to a hostel and worked out kind of like a work for stay, stayed at this hostel for 10 days trying to recover. And, you know, I was doing some people had told me to do some IT band stretches, things like that. I'm trying to kind of get over this like overuse injury that I've given myself day one. After about 10 days, the guy's like, hey, dude, if you're going to hike, you should probably go. And so. You know, he helped me, you know, part of the deal was he was like, hey, you know, you've really helped me. I'll get you a pack. Like, we'll help you get your pack weight down and stuff. And um, so Rudy kitted out, was ready to go and got another 160 miles into Great Smoky Mountains National Park. And I quit mentally like two days before I was able to get off the trail. So the hip pain was just so bad that I couldn't take it anymore. I wasn't having fun, you know, just really in a bad place. And I couldn't really square the idea of feeling how I was feeling for the rest of the trail. I knew that I wasn't going to make it. And I was worried that I was going to start doing structural damage. And if I kept doing that, there's no way, like, you know, if I... If I blow something out or I tear something or I've gotten bursitis or a bone spur, something's really, really wrong here. That's it for hiking. Like, I'm done. So I'm going to get off. You know, that was the excuse I told myself. I'm just going to get off and save myself. You know, it'll be okay. And so on a super rainy, cold day, I limped into the parking lot of Klingman's Dome, which is the highest point on the AT. It's like 6,200 feet or something. It's just high barely higher than Katad and you know basically begged the rangers the park rangers for a ride uh down into Gatlinburg and and that was kind of it but on the way down the road I'm sitting with this like oh I failed like the dream is dead like this is yeah it just it felt so horrible by the time I made it into town you know I was calling people I'm like hey look I'm done and I'm gonna be back next year because I just couldn't, I just couldn't allow myself to sit with the feeling of like this is truly a failure, um, and that was kind of that was kind of that piece. So as far as the CPs related, it was just like really bad hip pain, really bad spasticity, and not knowing how to deal with it because I hadn't pushed myself to that degree before ever um, deal with the problem. Yeah, it's it's interesting when. You know, say you're you're hiking and it can feel good for a while, and then it just with spasticity it, it hits a point where it 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 goes downhill very quickly, and then pain and spasticity arise, and then like the next day you can kind of I feel like if you get moving you can kind of get once you get the blood flowing you can get back feeling a lot better, but then just the more days you do that over and over the the nervous system fatigue just sets in and at some point there's you can't just push through it or you, you will do structural damage and you will just absolutely fry your brain if you kind of go David Goggins mode forever. I heard in another podcast that you were on where you talked about how 
there really is no failure with hiking and any hike is a success. You're getting exercise and you're getting out in nature. And granted, it's on this attempt, it wasn't the entire AT, but still a lot of positives out of it. And uh, if there's anything you want to touch on on that topic, go for it. I think I think that's one of the things that I think you probably, as somebody that had some very lofty goals, could could understand this. I think a lot of us, you know, we have this this crazy goal in mind, and we're gonna, you know, like it's that's kind of that saying, like shoot for the moon, you'll land among the stars, kind of thing. But what we're focusing on is the fact that I'm not on the moon, and I'm want to be on the moon. I didn't make it to Katahdin, and I wanted to be on Katahdin. And the whole year after, I was telling this the story, you know, between 21 and 22, as I'm getting ready, I'm, I'm telling people like this is what happened. And I said, oh, yeah, I only made it 200 miles. And people would stop me and be like, what are you talking about only? Those don't belong together, only 200 miles. And that was kind of a perspective shift to me of like, oh, I've missed the fact that, yeah, I didn't do something insane, but I did something pretty nuts. Um, And so, you know, and I think with the trail like that, any amount of mileage that you're doing has benefit. You just have to look to find it. And also for me, having had the redemption without that first initial failure, I wouldn't have been in the place mentally that I was the next year. I wouldn't have learned the lessons that I learned. So I think that's also really important to realize. Like, One, take it in perspective. What did you actually accomplish? It might not have been everything you wanted. And two, like debrief yourself, sit there and, and pick out the, the lessons that could be learned because that and then that makes the failure a useful experience. Totally. So then you took about a year off, is that right? Yeah. And what did you do differently to prepare, whether it's physically or mentally, for your second attempt at the AT? So I think mentally the real edge that I had is that twenty one sucked really, really bad for me. So Coming into 22, a lot more prepared, it sucked less. And so it was kind of like this relief. You know, I had mentally prepared myself like, this is going to be horrible for a year, or like, this is going to be horrible for six months, but I feel compelled. So I'm just going to do it and it's going to be trash and I'm going to be cold and wet and in pain the whole time. And that's fine. So just like understanding the reality of like how bad the hike could be, I mentally prepared for that. And then it turned out way better than. I expected because, you know, nothing only sucks. But as far as physically, I don't know that I prepared the right way, but I prepared the best I could with Florida. Uh, Jacksonville, Florida has like a maximum elevation of like 97 feet. I was living at like six feet above sea level. So not really do as far as hiking. It's super flat. But I would gotten involved in, I knew I wanted to get stronger. And I'd realized like, oh, I can't squat. Like my form is bad. I'm going to hurt myself in the gym doing this stuff. So I I went and hooked up with a gym that trains some Olympic lifters that are actually, there's a couple of national level uh, competitors that train out of this gym in Jacksonville. And they have like a coaching staff for the Olympic lifters, but they're also available to kind of like consult and they do all the programming for you. So I met with the coach. And I was like, hey, I'm here to train, did some strength stuff for a bit. And then I let him in on, you know, what the plan was. And we actually put together like a phase sort of like phased mesocycles of like, this is what my training blocks are going to look like. And it was basically like strength 
base first because that's going to take the longest and it's going to be the most important. So, you know, a lot of sort of for those like in the fitness space, like really similar to sort of like a five by five Texas method, but like three days a week of bench squat, deadlift, you know, swap deadlift for power clean, sometimes overhead press, like those kind of primary it's mainly was mainly barbell compound movements training to sort of powerlifting style for for maximal load um and i trained really smart because i i had somebody with the brain for fitness behind me that just said this is what's on the board do it um so i did that for like four or five months of the sort of year ish that i had and then we moved into more of a almost like a CrossFit style training. So a little bit more like high intensity, still a lot of compound movements. Um, that was tough because there were some technical explosive movements that I didn't really have time to like slow down and really learn neurologically, but a lot more stuff like that, just starting to try to push the muscle endurance and cardio that wiped me out pretty good, but I've never been more ripped in my life. I had abs almost for the first time. It was crazy. And then I had a motorcycle accident and kind of fell off for a month. But when I came back, it was like, okay, hey, you got like two more weeks of cross training to run. And then we're just going to put you in, we're going to put you in the cardio machine. So instead of coming in four days a week to do your heavy compounds and, you know, three days in a corrective kind of like little stuff, one day come in twice a week, just do, you know, like, you know, lower sort of lower weight, lower, you know, we worked a lot off of like RPE, which is like relative perceived exertion. So, you know, working more in like the 70% of what you think you can lift on that day, given your recovery type of range for various amounts of reps. And like, really just like, we're going to maintain your strength base and then we're just going to run crap out of you on your office. And, you know, putting my pack on and hiking up and down bridges because I needed elevation and that was all I could get. You know, like my Saturdays were, you know, going to work at the golf course I was working at in the morning, do what I had to do, get off work at 11, take my pack, go to a bridge, walk up and down the bridge till 6 p.m. and go home. So it was very like at the end, it was very professional. And I had my run schedule that I was doing. We were very scientific about the approach that I was going to take to it. And I think that made a, a big difference in my confidence. But the thing that I didn't do was uh, I didn't do 16 miles day one and 22. So I still, even though my training was significantly better, I still kind of had to take a step back and go, okay, cool. We're going to do eights like everybody else for, a, a, you know, two or three weeks. That is a very smart approach. Yeah. And no, I, I love all the strength training and conditioning that you did. I think you really prepared yourself physically super well. And then did you just feel like you had a, an extra engine when you were going that next year? Um, I think in the beginning, I felt like I was more physically prepared than most folks. And then like by the time we get to Virginia, I think I'd been used to pushing kind of hard. Um, and I had a chip on my shoulder about like about putting in the miles because I, I had something to prove to myself you know so I was always chasing those bigger miles and then like partway through Virginia just I like I topped out you know my endurance you know it's not what somebody else's is going to be especially some of these folks that are really are like have been endurance focused in their training like I don't have efficient movement I'm sorry so 
you know, I top out at a 30 mile day. Like you may be able to do a 40. I can't go that fast. You know, I can hike all day. So, you know, if I, if I get myself into shape for it, but I'm going to hike two miles an hour. I'm not doing three, four miles an hour. Like some of my friends out here doing, you know, doing the state of New Jersey in 24 hours or something crazy. Wow. So I felt like in the beginning from like an injury prevention standpoint and just from like a mental standpoint, I was crushing them pretty good. But, you know, as it evened out, like folks sort of caught up to me and I sort of just was like, this is my pace. This is how I'm going to hike. And it's fine. Yeah. So it, it's interesting that you talk about the, uh, just the movement efficiency and, and everything about that. Like no matter how strong or how great your cardio can be in if if movement isn't efficient and you're putting in miles really just on an inefficient system like it's gonna be just taxing on more taxing on the brain and body than than anyone else and there's there's no way around that like i it's kind of what i've tried to dedicate my life to is figuring out strength and mobility (laughs) techniques to improve that but there's just a hardware issue that we can work around and do a lot of things, but that inefficiency just makes it hard and multiplies and grows exponentially when you're you're doing something like you were doing every day. Well, that's interesting because we don't know any better, right? So like I've never been in a sort of like normal body to know what normal tired feels like. I don't know what your leg pain feels like after a day of heavy squats. You know, if I put you in my body, my hunch would be that you would be like, how are you walking right now? But we don't know any difference. So for me, it's not like I'm inefficient. For me, it's just like, dude, like, I'm not going to be an ultra marathoner, probably. Like, maybe just for funsies to say that I did. But, you know, like, that's just not. That's just not how I'm built. But we don't know any better. So my my normal tired might be significantly more fatigued than your general person, but that's what tired means in my brain. So, you know, I, I still don't even really look at it as like a handicap. It's just like, yeah, sometimes sometimes it's just not going to go when you want it to go. Yeah, it's definitely all relative. And, you know, everybody always talks about pain tolerance and everything, but I feel like uh, whether it's from hiking or, or lifting, especially a hard leg day, the tightness and pain that you can get in in the legs with CP is unlike anything that most people yeah. have felt maybe in a different way than, you know, acute pains like broken bones or whatnot. But yeah, that that's a that's an interesting point you talk about. I definitely wanna touch back on a few more of the physical and the physiologic physiologic things that relate to CP and hiking, but before we do that, you want to just talk a little bit about finishing the second attempt of the AT and how it felt when you did reach Katahdin. It's weird because it didn't feel like I thought it would. Um, and I think that's one of the like coolest things from the entire hike. Uh, I thought I was going to feel like a badass. You know, I thought, oh, I, I'll do this thing. And for the rest of my life, I'm just going to feel like I can do anything. I'm going to feel so powerful. And we... <laughs> My friends and I, for my friend Hummingbird's birthday, uh, we hiked up. We started hiking at like one in the morning and we got up there for sunrise, which I really think was awesome because if like you having been up there, it's kind of sketchy when you're doing that scramble 
up to the yeah. top. And when you when you look down and you can't see anything, it's less scary. So <laughs> it was honestly like I'm really glad we did it that way. I was totally toast by the time we got up there, but um I'm sitting up, you know, like the sun is coming up and I see the sign and I just like I couldn't say anything. All I could say was like we did it. And I'm like, I'm crying, I'm emotional because I can't, it's a surreal moment. And then we hung out up there. You know, we, we watched the sunrise, we had coffee, you know, they had some, they made a little like hiker trash version of a tequila sunrise at sunrise for her birthday. And, you know, so I'm sitting there and they're enjoying that. And, and I'm just, instead of feeling proud, I felt so profoundly grateful because there were so many moments where my hike could have been over, but for the kindness of another human being, whether that was mentally or physically or, or what have you, there were so many strangers that went out of their way for me in situations where it meant so much to me. And that was really all I could think of at that moment was my friends, my family, the, the trail angels, the hiking community, every friend that I'd made, every smiling face that I'd seen the the former army ranger who literally saved my life in northern Vermont when we tried to add the long trail to our AT attempt I'd add heat exhaustion and this dude like practically carried me to water and like made sure I was good and babied me in the shelter while he's taking care of his kids you know so I had some stories where people quite literally saved my life and saved my hike and that was the feeling sitting on Katata was, I am so fortunate to be able to do this. And, and looking back at my entire life and thinking, I'm so fortunate as somebody with CP to be able to do this. And, and yeah, I worked hard, but it's not because I'm a badass, it's because I had support and love and care and financial sacrifice was made for my treatment. And the whole laundry list of my life is just like people looking out for me. And that was a powerful, full and humbling moment that I think I really needed as a person. And that's why I'm, I'm looking, you know, as I look to the future, I'm looking to get more involved in, you know, supporting this community because there are a lot of folks out there with CP that don't get the help that I had. And I'm, painfully well maybe not painfully but i'm i'm incredibly aware of how fortunate i've been and that moment on top of katata was really the impetus for that uh i love that man yeah i i definitely agree with everything you just said there and it took me a while to to come to those conclusions because i used to just kind of think it was like me versus the world in athletics and like all oh, the doctors said that this wasn't possible so i'm just gonna prove them wrong and it oh. it's that i did it all but it it really is so much due to the support yeah. the financial the love all this and just working with some some kids with cp uh here recently just seeing how you know these kids that don't have access to treatments they they have some family members that are working multiple jobs and different things like that the the physical outcome is in, insanely different than somebody yeah. who who had financial support and and family that was able to be around all the time and it's just something you you don't think about like uh we were just seems like we we're both really lucky to 
continue wow. to grow up the way we did. And I, I think too, you know, the thing is, it's it's hard to come to a place in yourself where that gratitude for others doesn't take away from how you feel about yourself. I don't think that because I got the help, my win is less important. I don't think that my hike means less because I'm able to walk better than some other person with CP that didn't get what I had. It's it's more of a focus on constantly reminding yourself, I have a team of people around me who love me that are doing this with me. So instead of looking at it the way that we do, I think, as a culture of like, I'm self-made. Like nobody's self-made and it shouldn't feel bad. It should feel great to be able to like have a win and then turn around and go, that's your win too. That's his win and her win. Like this is our win that I've been able to bring to us. And I think that that mental shift um, for a lot of people, whatever it is that drives you, you know, I, I hope that that's something that you can find space for in your mind. And that's what's long lasting. If you want to complete anything like uh, the AT, I mean, if if you were fueled on being self-made, you would you would have burned out. I guarantee it. Oh yeah. Also, on on the point of just being grateful about our physical function, I mean, I don't know too much about the the brain injury side of CP, but like we, you know, if we had uh, a lack of oxygen for a few more seconds. You know, could have been in a wheelchair, could have had a lot worse physical function and, yeah. and even cognitive function. So just trying, I, I try to remember that every day, but it it's easy to forget when you have these physical goals and you want to reach them. But uh, just coming back to that is so grounding because it, it really is true. Right. Well, I think, I think there's a, there's a bit of a burden of responsibility that I think for a long time I kind of shirked. And I think for, for you, I, I might say like you really felt strongly, which is what's kind of driven you in the direction that you're going. But it's like there's a burden of responsibility on those of us that can. And I like I was listening to a podcast that you did the other day uh, to show folks like us that are kids that maybe don't have the family that's telling them. It's not really a limitation, you know, that, that they're not being raised with the same language or the same help or the same support to just be somebody that can show them, hey, look, I know the doctor said you're not supposed to walk well, but look, look what we can do. Look what people like us can do. I think that that's really important. And those of us that are able to push the envelope should. You know, I I, I, I really do feel this sort of responsibility to go and do crazy things in the physical realm so that I can turn around to the five-year-old version of me that doesn't think he can do it and say, look, this is what you can do. Just make the next right choice. Oh, man, that that is perfect what you just said. I, I really believe that that can have a greater benefit on, on a child than anything you can do in physically whether it's physical therapy or what a doctor can do with surgery or uh or anything like that just the the belief and just knowing that the group of the demographic that you fall into was able to do these crazy things and even if uh you're a five-year-old kid right now and you don't want to hike the hike the at or play a college sport 
just knowing that you can push past the limits. And I I didn't really have anybody that I look up looked up to in the CP world that did that. But if it wasn't for my parents telling me that everything anything is possible, then I wouldn't have gone down this path. But yeah, I just love what you're doing, man. If I was a young kid right now and heard about what you were doing, I would be setting out to hike every single day. And um, I'm sure you're inspiring a ton of people with what you're doing. Yeah, I, I do. I selfishly kind of want to like put it out there. What's next? I'm not done. I got an even crazier hike planned. I'm going to be walking across Europe starting in March. Uh, similar average to the AT, but it's 4,000 miles. So we're, we're just going to double it up. 4,000? Wow. I'm going to be walking from Spain to Bulgaria to, to raise money for cerebral palsy research. So if anybody is like interested in what's going on with that, you know, follow Sidetrack Hiker on Instagram is primarily where that's going to be. And, you know, the hope is, uh, you know, I like doing crazy things and crazy things get eyeballs. And if we can get some support behind it, really looking at um, assistive tech and early intervention is kind of the focus of, of the group I'm working with, um, Cerebral Palsy Research Alliance or Cerebral Palsy Alliance Research Foundation, I'm sorry, is a, is a great organization. So that's kind of what's next for me in the realm of hiking. And, uh, you know, anybody's interested in what that's going to look like, just very shameless plug. Wow, I didn't know about this. And I'll, I'll definitely leave the link to those below. And uh, I think a lot of these listeners will hopefully support 4,000 miles, man. That's going to be... Me nuts. That's going to be something. So the the AT the AT is about two thousand twenty two hundred. So last year it was twenty one ninety four point three, and I always say the point three because I earned it. Damn it! <laughs> <laughs> totally. You you mentioned you said something about like your physical endeavors being selfish, and I I don't agree. I I've felt the same way in the past, and just going off what we talked about for inspiring the other kids, I. I think it's one of the, it, it's not selfish at all. And it, it's taken some, it's, it's like a, a mental hump to get over that. And it's hard to visualize how much impact we, we can make on, on other people from just doing things ourselves. But I, I really believe it is the case. Like, I, I mean, I'm doing this program in, in motor learning and like people ask me what I, what I want to do with it. And I I don't really know, but the one thing that keeps coming back is like, I want to figure out how I can do anything physically myself. And, and that's not a, a typical work path. And the, it, you know, it's not really, uh, doesn't lead to, to work in, in many instances, but, uh, I do believe that I want to, I want to do a lot more physical, uh, adventures that can just prove to this population anything's possible. So it seems selfish, but I don't think it is at all. Yeah, I think I think I think you know the the piece of it is like I was looking at the the through hiking you know lifestyle. It's like the shoe all responsibility, work part time and do hikes when you can. Um, just felt like I really felt like I was doing it you know mostly for me. Um, and to to have a chance to like have a reason to tell the story and and to have an organization that I've looked into and can point to and say, hey, these people are actually doing good work. Like you're inspired. How can I turn your in? How can I offer you an action you can take as a general populace? 
in addition to the example that's being set. Um, it just feels to me a little bit more purposeful, and that's kind of what I was looking for out of the next hike. It's like, yeah, I want to, I want to, I, I want to make sure that this next endeavor, I am fully aware at all times of the fact that I'm doing this because I can. And because I can sounds like a teenage sort of like apathetic quip, but it's super important to unpack for people like us. Is like, well, why why did I want to play collegiate tennis? Well, it's because I can. Because I'm not supposed to. Because I was told my whole life that the expectations were this, and I'm here. So how ungrateful would I be if I eschewed this thing? that I've been given if I threw the gift of the ability to hike away. Even on days that I don't want to hike, I go hike because I'm not supposed to. This is all a bonus and a gift. So that's the way that I look at it. And and the more that I can do to try to give back, you know, I think part of it is like, not necessarily like survivor's guilt sort of thing where I'm like, wow, I like I really feel sort of like undeserving of the fact that it's worked out so well for me. But at the same time of going, I'm so grateful for the life that I have. And if I'm looking for something to do in this world, if I can provide that or even a a sliver of that to just one child on this earth, then that's a life well lived. So that piece right there, that that literal piece for me is what I'm chasing now with these endeavors is to say, let me give back for my own heart. And and just as an expression of the gratitude that I have to be able to do all of these things on the list of like shouldn'ts and won'ts. Right. Yeah, and that's that's why I think CP is a blessing because, you know, there's obviously the days where it sucks and the the pain is brutal and your the festicity is high and you're just thinking, "Oh, why do I have to have this?" Um, but if if we didn't, we wouldn't have had what you just mentioned. You know, we wouldn't have um been where we we shouldn't be and the gratitude wouldn't be as long-lasting. So yeah, it really is a blessing. Do you, do you feel the same way? I think that was a twist that happened for me like a couple of months ago. I just had this sort of like feeling of like, whenever your burden is, whether it's CP or otherwise, like you've now been, I, I really felt for whatever reason at that moment, like I've been given an opportunity to actually demonstrate to other people what the human spirit can do. And if I had no limitations, then my accomplishments would be meaningless. Because they wouldn't speak to my character and they wouldn't speak to what perseverance can do. And it wouldn't be applicable or meaningful to anybody. But because I was given this thing and then given and given and given and given and given after that in every moment of my life with the things I'm grateful for that we talked about. And now I have the opportunity then to say, hey, this is the spirit part. And no matter what it is that you've got going on or what your level of CP is or you're, you know, you're in graduate school and it's kicking your ass, like you can take something from that concept of what an indomitable human spirit can accomplish. And I think that's a thing that 
the entire disability community is like your burden is a is an ability to demonstrate that to to other people the ability for you to handle your disability with grace is an opportunity to show people in the world the beautiful side of the human heart and the human spirit and 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 that it like hit me out of nowhere and now it's like this really well articulated thought but i agree with you but for the longest time i was pissed <laughs> so yeah. but i i came around you know and i'm i'm very glad that i have because it's given me a measure of sort of serenity yeah oh same here i was i was pissed at the world for years about it oh man i'm going to i'm seriously going to listen to that on repeat because uh the the spirit aspect of it is it, that's I couldn't say it any better, man. And like I I'm focused on you know the physical and the mental side of things, which definitely plays a role. I mean it's it's important, but uh, yeah, I will do some more reflecting and gonna want to pick your brain more on on the spiritual side of it because it it really is the the human spirit pushing past the uh, the limits and just integrating spirit body and mind i mean that's that's really what it is yeah i want to ask you a few questions just to, on the terms of recovery and hiking specific to to cp so either on your first attempt second attempt or even on just any day hikes you do now do you do any preparation any physical preparation or physical recovery afterwards so i'm not great about that as as i much as i should be um one of the things that I find seems to be helpful, although like I'm really not sure now that I'm like reading the literature, is like I try to do mobility work. I find that like active mobility work is better, I think, because it's building strength, whereas stretching is just like yanking all the muscles since we don't have that part of our brain that tells us to relax. So I was doing a lot of stretching and it didn't seem to do much. I feel like that sort of like warm up and even, you know, maybe even blood flow is a piece of it, but just sort of like the intentionality. And I also feel like connecting for me specifically to like my glutes and hips. So I'll do priming movements. So I find that glute bridge is actually really helpful because I have like dead glutes. It's really obnoxious, but like just trying to sort of prime those muscles can be helpful. I did have like IT bad issues um, and some pretty bad knee pain. So I bought a foam roller in virginia and i freaking carried a foam roller on the top of my pack for like a thousand miles i saw a picture of that yeah yeah which was like i didn't use it as much as i wanted to because i was so dang tired at the end of the day right gonna hurt but foam rolling seems to really help I, like again i'm not super well read on like the literature so i'm not sure what you know from levels of efficacy is like really gonna be effective I do take cold showers. That's more of a mental thing. It just like gets me up better than a cup of coffee. And then I can like, you know, do the Huberman thing where I wait until, you know, 10 a.m. to drink my coffee so that my body can wake up and all of that. Um, oh, yeah. Nice. nice. I, I, I've been really, really interested in sauna and cold plunge. I just don't have the ability to do those things right now. Um, so I'm like really interested in um, like... I've seen a little bit about your experience with cold plunge. I would love if you would at some point go into that a little bit more as far as like layman's terms of what that's been like for you. But 
yeah, on trail, I think foam rolling was a big thing. A lot of the people used KT tape for stuff. Some people were using it for like ankle support. I had some Achilles tendonitis. It was eventually fixed because I got insoles for my shoes. But I found that KT tape with some stuff sort of helped with reception a little bit. But I know that like the efficacy of that is kind of debatable. So like it kind of helped a little bit. But I mean, most of the time it was just like on trail, it's just rest. Yeah. Rest and, and, and foam rolling. And, you know, one of the things that happens on trail is like something always hurts, but I'm really grateful when it's something that didn't hurt yesterday because then I don't have to worry about it. <laughs> so that was kind of an all over the place answer. But yeah, primarily like foam rolling and pressure. But I wasn't, I'm not really very well educated on like, CP specific, um, you know, like recovery modalities. So that's something that I, I'm interested in learning a little bit more about. Yeah, it, and I mean the the literature on this stuff for CP just it doesn't really apply to us. Like it, it, you know, you could never have a a study of many many people with CP hiking and see you know see how stretching versus foam rolling does. Like it, right. e- even with you know, especially with studies on on kids, you know they're not re- really looking at recovery. Like, why would somebody with CP focus on performance and focus on strength, and then why would they need recovery? Like, that's kind of seems we're just kind of getting to the to the activities of daily living level and standard, right? And that's important. Like, I'm not against that. It it really is needed, but just forgetting about the performance and recovery side of things i think is undermining a lot of the capabilities of the body and the the spirit so in terms i i agree with everything you said on stretching totally just yanking on tissue you know it doesn't carry over the active movement can help with some recovery just like getting in the rest and digest mode by slowing down your breathing and whatnot and the foam rolling love that uh especially before movement that's it's crazy how such a soft thing can can hurt so bad, and uh, hey, at least for your pack, it didn't add any weight. I mean, looks big and bulky, but doesn't add anything. I like it before movement, just to kind of wake up some of those proprioceptors and sensory yeah. input, give you that window of opportunity. But also after a long day, I mean, can't yeah. beat that if you have the energy for it. But I feel you on after a long hike or something just not wanting to prop yourself up and go through the pain of that oh and you're doing it on a trail too you know you're not always in a you know or sure. sheltered pool and it's like where the where are we gonna we can get down in the dirt on this thing i didn't think of that yeah when I, if i'm gonna lay down i'm i'm in a sleeping bag it's just but you know it definitely did help in, in a lot of moments as far as that was concerned and then on the sauna and cold plunge, like I, I do these things pretty consistently and it helps a lot with recovery. And I was just thinking, you know, if, if I do some, if I do some real backpacking or the AT someday, like I'm not going to have all these recovery techniques and I know J- Jake didn't have them. So like, not to say I I'm relying on it, but it, it definitely helps with recovery in my opinion. So I think it's it's good to build resiliency without it, but it also you know helps in the moment and in for as you mentioned in kind of in layman's terms for 
sauna and cold plunge, I, I think sauna increases blood flow and in the brain and body, which is great for recovery and changing the brain, neuroplasticity, just reducing muscle tone too, which is great after a, a long, hard endeavor of any sort. And then the reason I do cold plunges is because in the winter, my whole life, you know, this time of year when the fall turns and you start to feel that cold air, I would always dread it because that cold breeze would cause the muscles to tense up. Have you have you noticed anything similar? Yeah, yeah, I really can't run very well for it's it's not like it's not acute, but I definitely notice a little bit more of like a systemic tightness. Now I have skipped winter for the last like four years, so this winter in Vermont will be my first in a while. So it'll be interesting to keep an eye on on how the body responds to that. Yeah, it it seems to me like in the winter. It takes a while to get going on anything outside, but then once you're moving and the blood's flowing and you've got your gait pattern back down, it's it's pretty similar, but definitely impacts recovery. So the reason I, I do the cold plunges is just to breathe through the really cold and it absolutely sucks. But then, yeah. you know, if I'm doing that in an absolute freezing ice bath and I go outside and it's 40 degrees, I can be in a t-shirt and run around and not have any physical limitations so it's kind of just like a little biohacking technique i, I nice. use to make the cold not impact spasticity brain callus right <laughs> brain callus that's a good way to put it yeah my next question on on this is is about going up or downhill when you're hiking do you notice any differences for that because for me i feel great going uphill feel a lot of blood flow not much spasticity but then when I'm going downhill, the spasticity really kicks up and could be a combination of things, whether it's just the joint angles of the body going down or if I'm much more tired or, you know, a combination of those things. But do you have any uh, perspective on that? One thing I will say is like going down Mama K after like, I will say this, I had I had five and a half months of perfect training to summit Katahdin. Like hearing your story about going up, so I'm like, yeah, if I did that right now, that would definitely be me. So I think a lot of it is probably you're probably doing these big mountains where like I'm gonna go up and then I'm gonna go down, and so your perception of the downhill is like I'm going down after I just went up. When you do it all day every day, it kind of changes. Like yeah, if I do a big climb and then I go down, like I'm fatigued, but at a certain level, your endurance just becomes unreal. And then you sort of really start to notice the structural things. Uh, downhill is definitely more painful for me. And that's something I'm trying to figure out. So I am a spastic diplegic, but I'm, it's much more aggravated in my left. And I have this sort of like left to right sort of gait issue where what's happening is because my right leg is stronger, uh, there's torsion on the left knee. And then on the downhill, like my BMO gets super fatigued. And that's that little teardrop muscle that supports knee flexion um you know knees over toes guy talks a lot about that whole structure of the of the body and so that impact of going downhill with a heavy pack you know a lot of times your knees drifting in front of your feet really lights up the quad right above the knee and so i find that i have problems with that but on the uphill it's like my gastron is just like that part of that part of the calf is just really tight um, and I can have some some issues with like Achilles 
Um, I've had Achilles tendonitis a couple of times. If I'm not mindful of, you know, usually it's pressure, um, either pressure or pacing. If I'm like not mindful on my recovery, if I, if I push it before my body's ready, if I, if I do, you know, a big ambitious day before I'm really super ready for it, the uphill really lights up my calves and especially like the beginning of a hike, the beginning of a hike. Oh my God, (laughs) how am I going to do this? And then about halfway through my body's like, Oh, we're, we're, we're fine. You know, then for the rest of the day, I can go, I can go forever at, after that point. But, um, yeah, the, the uphill and downhill suck in their own way, but I always found downhills to be, to be a little more difficult. Plus on the AT and like hiking in the Northeast, it, it's so bouldery and scrambly. It, you know, if you can hike in New York, if you can hike in the whites, if you can hike in, in Southern Maine, you can hike anywhere. It's, it's not, the AT is not 2000 miles of the, you know, the Saddlebacks and the Bigelows, who's much. It's, you know, it's cake, and then it's that, you know. But that is to say there's a lot more balancing involved on the downhills because you're sort right. of rock scrambling and hopping from, you know, sort of almost like natural steps in some of these places. And the balance can be super difficult for us, you know, from a neurological standpoint. And, you know, also for me, like, God, so much of my my weaknesses are hip flexor related. So any kind of side to side movement, it just is really taxing. I relied really heavily on my poles for the downhills, and uh, yeah. most of the time on it on a day, if I was crying, it was because I was on a downhill. The fear is a is an impact. I mean, if you're going downhill and you fall, you are falling however far the the hill is going down. You know, and how steep it is. Uh, but if you're if you fall going uphill, you know, you just trip and get right back up. So that, that definitely impacts the, how we move. And that's something I've been thinking a lot about. I did the knife's edge on the way off Katahdin. Did you? Oh. And the, the fear, like there, I crawled my way down the Helon Taylor Trail. And I've never, I've never hated hiking more in my life. I was just like, I, I just hiked 2,000 miles. I suck at this because, like, if I fall now, <laughs> it's toast. Oh, I didn't know you did like that. The balance too, because now you're like tense, and the the, cert, the central nervous system is just like I can't handle <laughs> any more of this. It's a it's a just a loop from hell. Like you you know yeah. you get more scared, then the body gets more tight, and you just keep you're going scared? until you're until you're crawling down. And I've I've been there, so I know I know exactly what you mean. One other question on this: Do you feel? Like you are consciously controlling your movements when you're walking, or do you feel like your gait is able to just be pretty automatic and you are able to have an external focus of attention and and not think about, oh, I'm moving my leg this way and I'm doing this, like an internal focus? I mean, it comes and goes because hiking is weird. Like it's technical. And especially in the Northeast, there's roots and rocks everywhere. So you kind of have to be, it's really cool because it gets you really present. You have to be laser focused on where you're going to be or you'll fall. And I've like fallen quite a bit over, like I've tripped on nothing a bunch of times. It's really funny when it happens. So, you know, when I'm hiking, I really am having to think about my foot placement, but not necessarily because that's an issue with my gait. One thing I have noticed, and this was part of the impetus behind like, you know, wanting to hike and like feeling really fortunate about where I was with my CP is when I get really fatigued, I'll, I limp, especially lefts. I'll favor the left side a little bit. And 
I don't feel it. But other people will ask me, like, oh, are you okay? And I'm like, wait, what? Yeah. Oh, well, you're, you're like obviously limping. Like, are you, did you hurt yourself? I'm like, no, I'm just tired. But for the most part, like, I'm fortunate enough that I don't really have to think about it. Again, I apologize for some of the audio issues going on today. This was the part that my computer cut out on. So we missed the last minute or so of Jake talking about this. But we're going to fast forward to Jake giving you the information of where you can contact him and how you could donate to the Foundation for Cerebral Palsy Research that he is a part of. If you are interested in following the next adventure, you can follow me at at sidetrackhiker, as all one word, S-I-D-T-R-A-C-K, hiker, on Instagram. Um, I'm Jake Aarons on Facebook. If you're interested in checking out uh, the fundraiser, if you go to Cerebral Palsy, it's cparf.org, I believe. They'll have a little section with various individual fundraisers. Uh, mine is just right there. It's called Tear It Up for CP because the name of that route is the Trans-European Alpine Route, the T-E-A-R. So we're going to be tearing it up for CP if you're interested in seeing a little bit more about that. And then, hey, if you have any questions you want to connect, you can always reach out to me via email at jake.r.arens, that's A-R-E-N-S, at gmail.com. Cool, man. Yeah, I will. Uh, I'll leave a, a link to all those below. And are you going to be able to uh, post any anything, any updates at, on your adventure in Europe? Yeah, so I'll be posting on Instagram. There's also, uh, I just set the, the fundraiser page up a couple of days ago. There's also like a blog section. So I'm going to be doing some blogs there. Um, I'm looking into potential partnerships with some hiking publications. I know you saw my stuff on the trek. I'm still waiting to hear back from the folks over there. So there's a possibility that that's going to be out there, but I'm going to be hopefully pretty active in, in sharing the journey along the way. And I think that's going to be the avenue for the most eyeballs. There's going to be a couple other hiking podcasts that are going to come out. So really just kind of hitting it from all angles. Nice. Oh, cool. Yeah, I can't. I can't wait. I'll be checking in on that. When are you doing the uh, that hike? So tentative start is March third, but it's going to be. It's either going to be like last week in February or first week or two in March. I just have some personal details I have to kind of iron out, but right around that time frame and should be finished by November. Gonna be a long one. That is a long one. Oh, I can't wait to hear about it. And we got to get some hiking in soon. Next time I'm in. Uh, in New Hampshire. We'll we'll have to meet up. For sure. Alright, thanks so much for coming on, man. Absolutely inspiring, dude. I love it. Alright, talk to you soon. See you, Beth. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Movement Fluidity Podcast. If you are enjoying this podcast, please subscribe and leave a review on Spotify or Apple. If you would like to support future episodes of the podcast, you can give a small monthly donation through the link in the description below. If you know of anybody who could be a guest in future episodes, please contact me. I'm always looking for guests in the scientific world related to movement and also people such as Jake who have amazing stories with or without disabilities that 
embody the fact that anything is possible, like we talked about today. You can find me on Instagram at charlie.graphius, Facebook at charliegraphius, email at charliegraphius at gmail.com. And hope you guys enjoy the rest of your day. Enjoy November. Hope the weather is all right wherever you guys are.